Are you one of our regular students for Self-Improvement Wednesday? Each week you get to learn something new. Your lesson this week, the Bush Rangers of the Sydney region. Your teacher is Grace Carskins, Emeritus Professor of History at the School of Humanities and Languages at the University of New South Wales. And Grace joins us. Good afternoon. Hello, Richard. When we look at Sydney's vast suburban landscape today, it's hard to imagine that we ever had anything to do with bushrangers. Yeah, you wouldn't think so, would you, just looking at it? But, uh, but actually, we've got to imagine a Sydney full of farmland and, and, uh, and bushland. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Like, it was very much that in the 19th century, because Sydney was very compact, the city. Um, but, you know, there were still farmlands and... Uh, rural areas around, I don't know, Wentworthville, Borkham Hills, Carlingford, after World War II. So we have a really long rural history, and with that goes a plague of bushrangers, as well as other, you know, notorious uh, figures like cattle thieves and illegal distillers and a few pirates, you know, right up until the 1840s. Uh, I found a great quote by Louisa Meredith, who was a wonderful writer in the 1830s, and she said the Parramatta Road near Homebush was infested with bushrangers in the late 1830s. Okay, an infestation at Homebush of bushrangers. Yeah. Now, the term's <laughs> interesting, isn't it? Because when it starts off, the term bushranger doesn't really necessarily involve a, a, a violent thief. No, that's correct. So when... Um, the first bush rangers, actually really two words, they just meant a man who could, and I can't find any women but at this point, but a man who could roam in the bush and knew his way around and often knew Aboriginal people, so a ranging person. Uh, and those guys were very helpful if you wanted to go on an exploratory journey. Uh, they were often, you know, called in to help with that sort of thing. Um, and they're mostly convicts or ex-convicts. And, you know, you might think, well, how the hell did they get out? Well, it's because Sydney or the early colony wasn't a jail. It was a colony and it didn't have any walls. And so it was easy for convicts to just go off into the bush, which was beckoning them, of course. <laughs> now, some of them ended up living with Aboriginal groups. Some, some though, didn't. No, some didn't because, well, you had to be pretty clever to get yourself accepted into an Aboriginal group. Um, and if you couldn't and you didn't have the skills to live in the bush, which they didn't, you know, um, they had to live by robbing, robbing settlers or, or you know, tacking them on the, the tracks, the early tracks. And that's when, quite early, the word bushranger becomes a negative one, so, uh, meaning someone who's outside the law and outside kind of mainstream law-abiding uh, community mm. who lives by robbing people. Okay, now so that's when you get that change. It, yeah. it, it in, in this in the Sydney area, it intensifies in the eighteen twenties. How come? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's a, law, a lesson for our um, law and order people here. It intensifies because the convict system gets much more um, savage and severe for convicts in that decade. Uh, it was so much harsher. And the punishments were increasingly brutal and there was really less hope or any hope for convicts uh, for better things. So that that's really why so many more convicts fled into the bush and became bushrangers. It's, you know, undeniable. Um, so one good example is like the road gang system. So in the 1820s, the governors decided to send, get the, con the repeat offenders out of the towns and cities and out into the bush you know, it put them to work in chains, some of them, building these huge roads to serve the free settlers. 
Um, and rather than preventing crimes, of course, that system actually fostered a huge wave of bushranging as men, of course, ran away from the horrors of those gangs. Um, and so the bush becomes this escape hash, hatch. So if anyone's caught stealing, they might often run away into, um, into the bush so they wouldn't be flogged or hanged. Um, and they're, and now they're not on their own either. They form gangs. Gangs of bushrangers are the way this operated. And often those gangs were made up of men who had known each other before. They ran away mm-hmm. together or they came in a ship together here. So there's social link as well. Okay, let's meet some of the individuals and, and, and hear where they hung out in our city uh, back in the 1820s and 1830s and 1840s. William Geary, he was maybe the most successful? Yeah, most successful and really notorious bushranger. He was at large for two years in the early 1820s and he and his gang, Geary's gang, robbed settlers and travellers all the way from the North Shore, yep, the upper North Shore, over to Rouse Hill and the Hawkesbury River and um, they actually had a hideout in a cave in Gordon of all places <laughs> and the whole gang of six men were all caught tried and hanged together in Sydney in 1821. So the authorities made a real spectacle of bushrangers when they caught them. I I, Um, want to know whether Geary's Cave is still there at Gordon. Well, it is, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, local people still knew about it in in the 1920s, so it was quite famous. You know, there's a lot of local lore in Sydney about what happened on the underside of history, I reckon. All right, now tell me about the the underside of history, the, the McNamara gang. Well, they were a notori- another notorious gang that sheltered in the very rugged areas around North Rocks. So um, that part of that, that area is still rugged today. It's a sandstone gully, but that's where they hung out. And they were, you know, ca- also captured and hanged in the 1830s. Um, and then I, th- I know on the Hawkesbury, there was a notorious guy called John Armstrong who also had a gang and he was called chief of a lawless murdering gang and had his headquarters in the Currajong. And so like the Currajong is this idyllic, very posh area today, but apparently it was a notorious bushranger hideout then. Now he was, he was shot, shot dead in 1837 mm. by police. They don't last long, do they? They don't last long at all. They, they have a quick run. And this this affects the way they see the world and how they behave as well. Now, I guess the most famous one even had a song written about him. Tell me about the wild colonial boy. That's the one, yeah. I don't know if listeners remember, we had to learn this at school in the 19th, early (laughs) 19, late 1960s, I remember. Yeah, but that was inspired by him. um, And he was the most famous because... Oh, people started to think he was immortal because he escaped so often, had supernatural powers. He had a lot of charisma, I think. And his gang robbed settlers over this huge area from Brinjelli and Appen to Richmond, Pennant Hills, Borkham Hills, Castle Hill. And you know, the other way they survived, all bushranger gangs had to have this. They had to have settler accomplices. They had to have people, you know, ordinary settlers who would hide them, stash their salt, stolen goods, you know, feed them if they ran out of food. Um, and it's ironic because most of their victims were also small settlers. 
It's a fascinating social observation, isn't it? Right. Donahue, as uh, you know, the Wild Colonial Boy, bold, mm. bold Jack Donahue, he's shot by police too, uh, near, yep. near G- Brinjelli in, in 1830. Uh, it's interesting we're still arguing about bushrangers in a way. There was a, a story on Cassie's radio program this morning about Ned Kelly. Someone's written a, a, a book which is very much a, an against Ned Kelly book and someone next week I'm sure will produce a pro-Ned Kelly book. Historians are still divided uh, on, on all these bushrangers, whether they just see them as, as all murderous thieves or whether to see that they they had some slightly different role in colonial society. Oh, yeah, that has that is an ongoing debate. Um, but they're really interesting. I like the debate is about whether they're just simply brutal criminals or whether they, you know, are the romantic gallant rebels of our past, the people who defy authority. And I think that's what cap- has always captured people's imagination right from the start, and which is why they're kind of anti-heroes. Um, but, you know, they did have their own sense of theatre, their own culture. They would um, they would just do a lot of daring do. Jack Donahue was known for not, like Robin Hood, not robbing the poor and just focusing on the rich, but most of them did actually rob the poor. Um, but, you know, others were trying to have a moment because they knew they didn't have li- long to live. They lived with the fact that they didn't have a long time to live. And they they do these actions of turning the world upside down, turning the tables on authority. So they dress in fine and extravagant clothing like feathered hats and sashes and cloaks. Um, they were mocking the trappings of wealth and status. Or they'd make a victim kneel and say their prayers or force them to swear their silence or, or make them drink until they were drunk or they'd, you know, sentence a constable to a flogging. You can see how this would get into the papers. Everyone would read about it. And they knew that. They were self-conscious outlaws. Mm-hmm. It's quite amazing. And they certainly, um, they certainly leave the mark on that, their mark on this town. They leave it in all those songs and melodramas and early films that, that feature the Bushrangers. But they also, there's, 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 there's physical signs. Of the, the public hangings uh, are reintroduced in the 1830s to deal with them. There are huge gallows built at Parramatta, Burwood, Darlinghurst, etc. Yeah, well, the Darlinghurst ones would have been in the jail, but they were the walls were flung open to let everybody in to watch. That was like that had been abandoned earlier in the 1820s. Um, but yeah, gallows. That's right, public gallows, huge because they'd hang the whole gang together, and the gang would dress up. They'd wear white suits and black caps with ribbons on them. For this, so this was also a performer, and I mean, can you imagine doing that? Like, it's it's incredible. Um, but you know, they they forced them to bring in the Bushrangers Act, which was uh, a real danger to every working person because anybody could be arrested on suspicion. Uh, there were whole new police forces, the mounted police, the new surveillance methods, jails. They really had an impact on our built environment and our legal system and our culture. And, um, and, and and on the map, uh, you know, someone's talking yeah. about Bush Rangers Hill at Newport on the text. Uh, there's a Bush Rangers Caves on the Nepean, isn't there? That's right. And also up at Mount Victoria. I'm glad someone texted in about that. And I do like this too, because this is the counter mapping, right? This is the faint traces of the Bush Rangers' own geographies, their worlds. They le- they also left their hideout names on, on, well, some of them, not many, but on our maps. Um and, yeah, as I said, Geary's Cave is, is still there and was still known. I'm not sure if it is now. And I think it's important to follow up those traces as well, you know, and know that we had this history, this counter-history. Well, maybe someone at Gordon can tell us if Geary's Cave <laughs> yes. is still around. And what about Donahoe's Cave at, uh, at Wallachia too? Hey, uh, it was a fabulous lesson, Grace. Thanks so much.
Thank you. There's Thanks, a Richard. Grace Caskins. Yeah, the bush rangers of the Sydney area. Grace Caskins, Emeritus Professor of History, School of Humanities and Languages at the University of New South Wales. And if you haven't read her book uh, on the hook screen of Pea and River, it is a classic of Sydney history.